1: Hi, I'm Jessica Aries. I'm a lawyer turned digital marketer and I help busy lawyers perfect their digital presence online. I'm so excited to be here. Again,
0: <laughs> I we are so excited. We've, now that we're kind of kind of creeping up on the third, starting the third year of the podcast, I've gone back and found some of the, the best, the best of the best. And so here we are with Jessica Aries <laughs> again, because there's a lot of stuff we didn't cover. In our first episode, which is almost a year ago now, plus social media moves so fast that even in the legal world, where where the legal world does not move so fast, as you know, that I think it's going to be so fun to kind of talk about what we kind of... Where we left it and then where things are at now and then kind of what, you know, what's changed. And there's there's lots to talk about. I promise it's not going to be a three hour episode. <laughs> we're just going to kind of do what we can do. <laughs> so here's the title for today's show is Social Media Growth Hacks Mastering the Right Platform. So the first thing I want to talk about today, Jessica, after saying thank you for being here and I appreciate <laughs> yeah, I always appreciate thank talking you. to you. Actually, before I get into the, what I wanted to talk about and where we wanted to start, I first want to mention how awesome and kind of aspirational your LinkedIn content is. And I probably mentioned this last time, but you know, not everybody has listened to every single episode, even though they should. So first of all, everyone needs to check out the consistency and quality of content that Jessica p- kind of puts out on LinkedIn because it's not it's not just kind of regurgitated and it's very useful. So, I just want to put that plug and and kind of point it out as a point of like mentioning her expertise here. So, let's start with last time we were talking about the metaverse.
1: <laughs> let's <Yes>. start there. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for the plug on LinkedIn. I will tell of you course. Put a lot of time and effort into that, so I appreciate when people read it and acknowledge it, comment, or even just mention it to me. People sometimes will just come up to me on the side of the street when I'm (laughs) out in public and be like, "I follow you on LinkedIn," and I'm like, "Wow, okay." Whoa! Reach, yeah. Wow, you're like (laughs) Taylor Swift of the LinkedIn. I'm really not. (laughs) I'm really not. I know. I laugh because I'm like, I have like 1,800 followers, which isn't like a huge audience. But yeah, it's clearly very it gets targeted. Amplified. Yes. It gets amplified in ways that I had no idea and shared in ways that my follower account does not display at all. So yeah. it's kind of fascinating. And the power of social media going back to platforms is just super interesting. But It's yes, fascinating. The, <laughs> yeah. the last time we were chatting, you were talking about the metaverse, which is yes. a... Totally. like I feel like everything now is about AI yes. and threads yes. and all these, these new topics. And it just really goes to show that this industry, marketing in general, moves so quickly and that even the strategists, myself included, we are like drinking out of a fire hose trying yes. to keep up with what's happening, what's changing, how strategy is shifting, how algorithms are shifting, how video content has become so prevalent. It's it's a changing and evolving game and it takes a lot to stay on top of it. And the metaverse itself was a, a kind of a topic that was emerging and seemed like it was going to be a force and now, way less prevalent, yes. way less discussed. And so it just goes to show don't put all your eggs in one basket, right?
0: Yes. Okay. So I think that's lesson number one for sure. Do not put all your eggs in one basket, even LinkedIn, like there are limitations. And I think in a few minutes I want to kind of go through sort of the, the pros and cons of some of the big ones. So clearly there's limitations to LinkedIn and all of, you know, but don't put everything there. And we'll get into that in a minute. But let's talk about like because I was thinking while you're talking about how now you know we were at the metaverse and now we're at AI. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, like the if you dig into the sort of foundation of both, it's not super far removed. I mean, we're talking about like robots and this virtual reality (laughs) and not like, you know, the stuff that we all imagined in sci-fi movies when we were growing up. But where do you think kind of the metaverse lost it and lost its luster? And then The next thing I'm wondering while you were talking is like, how do you look at a platform like that and evaluate whether you should kind of invest your time and, and kind of efforts there?
1: Yeah. So I think the metaverse kind of lost its practicality. So the barrier to entry, the barrier to actually getting into the metaverse interacting, it was really only super welcoming to those who had the tech skills and who had the desire to buy the headset or the desire to log in and really understand i think on top of that it 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 kind of lost its luster too because it was so associated with crypto and crypto took such a crash yeah it had such bad pr around a lot of these big exchanges kind of failing and people losing tons of money like that's a really negative appetite in people's mouth for this idea of like okay let's go feed into this thing that first of all is more difficult to access is going to take equipment is going to take extra time and energy to actually learn to use on top of that, the way we would do commerce or the way we would interact would require us to use this cryptocurrency, which is not doing so hot right now and might not have the same value later.
0: Yes. yes. Yeah. And I feel like for me, I kept looking at the metaverse and then I would see the sort of avatars like walking through this fake land and I'm like, this, listen, I'm a tech person. I love all the technology, but this is weird. <laughs> like, this is, I feel like I'm picturing 12 year old boys, like, flying their little spacecraft. This doesn't feel professional on any level. Like, where can I find the professional people? And I know there were arguments for this because I early on had a show with someone who was talking about where lawyers can go in the metaverse and all that, mm-hmm. but it just it it just doesn't it didn't ever quite click for me it never made any sense
1: yeah and i think so i, I don't want to say the metaverse is done okay because i do think there's going to be opportunities in the future sure especially with apple coming out with its new vr headset yes. wear. i just think it might look different than how it was initially proposed to us just like the first mp3 players were those like rio things that were so hard to download and upload yeah. music until Apple invented 10,000 songs in your pocket, right? right? The iPod. Yes. I think it's just the first version of it we've accessed is cumbersome. It's Just weird. like the first versions of the internet were right. cumbersome to well, access, right? Even the
0: first version so. of social media was MySpace. It was way mm-hmm. before Facebook and that's gone. And that's clearly been kind of shoved over to the side. And then Facebook came along and just like threw a grenade in that whole thing. So, yeah, that's 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 exactly what I was thinking as well. Just kind of that it's going to be there in some there's no way Apple would invest in something like this VR headset without having some finger on the pulse of something that's coming down, down, you know, in the future.
1: Yeah. And I think it's just going to look different. And Apple, Apple is genius at this, at reinventing right. what we initially believed to be how things would run. The iPhone is the perfect example of that, the iPod, and I should disclose, I did work for Apple for a number of I'm not trying to plug Apple or anything. With that, <laughs> I'm a total, I drink the Kool-Aid, I am all <laughs> Apple
0: products, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that's the metaverse. And then let's slip over to kind of these AI driven, mm-hmm. I guess how that would relate to social media mostly for what what how we're using it is it's kind of driving our, our content and not Correct. necessarily, we're not using it as a social media platform, but it's helping us to create the content for social media. So how is that? I mean, it just seems like it has taken over.
1: Yeah, it has. Well, I mean, the utility of it has taken over the idea that I don't have to stare at a blank cursor when it's time to write my social media post that I can create ideas. I can create concepts. I can take this long form piece of content and distill it down into something more synthesized, more digestible, easier for my clients to understand and not this legalese kind of written content that a lot of lawyers write Yes, with something like chat GPT. I think that's the utility of it has really, come to light for lawyers and for content marketers and marketers like like us. But then on top of that, lawyers are seeing their entire industry kind of be disrupted by AI with some of these new tools that are coming out that are kind of doing the jobs that baby associates used to do. You yes. know, with analyzing the case law and pulling together potential cases to fit certain fact patterns and even putting together, you know, clauses or suggesting clauses based on, you know, contract review or something like that. That kind of stuff. We were seeing that I mean, I, I used to work in an immigration firm. We were seeing that kind of stuff happen in immigration law a while back. It's now coming in full force to all areas of the law. Yeah. And so I think that's where, whether you're a marketer, whether you're a lawyer, you can't really hide from it. And yeah. You shouldn't hide. You should be learning it. You should right. be embracing it.
0: Yeah, because at the end of the day, you're going to be wasting money by not even considering. And it doesn't, it shouldn't necessarily take the place of people or whatever the case might be, but it should just kind of supplement their time and improve their efficiency and all of that. So let's kind of, I wanted to talk, I mentioned earlier about kind of going through different platforms, kind of pros and cons and things like that. And then how we can use AI, you know, kind of how you were describing. So LinkedIn, obviously the big one, that's where I find your content most regularly. I know you're all over the place and we do a little bit on TikTok and all that with these podcast posts, but that for us, and I don't know if it is for you, but that's all just sort of supplementary for us Mm -hmm. and the main ones. Well, what are the main ones that you use in your agency?
1: Yeah, so we, we use a ton. We do a lot of short form video content and that's mainly because that is a huge kind of service line we do and especially for our firms that are doing a lot of recruiting the big firms that are doing a lot of recruiting they're thinking about those millennials those zillennials or the gen z who are using those platforms and trying to get their message out to them that they're a great place to work right yeah so we're doing a lot of that kind of content and in order to do that you really have to have your own presence on that platform those platforms like instagram reels and tiktok youtube shorts but then on top of that we're also Daily posting on LinkedIn, regularly sharing thought leadership, really just trying to walk the talk. Yeah, because it's really hard to advise lawyers like you need to make time for this if you're not making time for it right. yourself. Yeah, exactly. So, so
0: I feel like you get judged for the quality of your own content and whether they are you know going to hire you if you've got typos and kind of problems in your own social media. It's like instantly the same thing that I look at when I'm looking at websites and things like that. It's like oh yeah. my gosh, you you've got, you can't you can't try to out there being a professional and selling your services when your website is hacked. I literally had someone the other day contact me and they're like, I think I need a new website. I'm like, you need more than that. You've got all this spam. Your website is hacked. Like there's all these mm-hmm. bad spam. So I'm like, oh gosh, it's so bad. It's such a bad first impression. And I think the website has always been kind of talked about as the first impression, but I feel like it's like one point, you know, one and a half whereas the social media really is the the first impression and then they jump over to the website to kind of validate, get more info, get the, you know, the finer details. Okay. So LinkedIn, you're doing these short form videos. Clearly you guys are seeing that that works, right? Yes. And do you do the same short form video on all the different platforms or do you make variety, make them different from one platform to the next?
1: So the platforms have different time limits, which makes it challenging. Yeah. So something like a YouTube shorts, you only have 60 seconds to get your point across. So we're typically, when we're creating short form content, we're recording something that might be over 60 seconds. So we're having to edit it down to 60 seconds, which is super fun. Yeah. <laughs> like take out <laughs> the, um, the, the, the breathing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or take out with my intro with my name and instead just have it pop up over my head or something. Some way to kind of shorten that content up and tighten it. But it's also a great challenge in copywriting and getting really concise in your message. So generally we we try to post the same content. We're just trying to fit it to the time links of the different platforms. I will say TikTok really loves the trending sounds and the trending kind of topics. And for any strategy in social lately, we find the more entertaining, the more self identifying your content can be to your audience, the more likely it's going to get reshared, the more likely it's going to get viewed. So you can put out a lot of how to value based content. But if you don't have anything in there that kind of makes your audience chuckle or makes them go, wow, that's a funny way to look at it, or yeah. oh my God, I feel so seen, yes. right? <laughs> that type of content is actually the content that we see gets the most reshares and really builds our audiences. So we use heavily trending sounds on TikTok to do that and grow our audience in that way.
0: So with that in mind, how can they go? I, I feel like I can almost hear lawyers' brains explode when you say that. Yes, <laughs> I, know, I, know. I and, know. And I'm sure you have these conversations every single day where they're like, I have to be funny, what? <laughs> so yes. where is the line where they, They don't want to go too far. We're Mm -hmm. like, okay, be funny, but don't be a total, like, don't try to pretend like you're a 17 year old skateboarder or, you know, whatever, you know, influencer. So, do you kind of have a box that you try to advise them to sort of stay within
1: to be still a professional lawyer and kind of present that way? Yeah. So, the thing I remind them about is the things that will actually make your, your audience chuckle or like laugh or actually the things that show you really know them. So that can be something as simple as, you know, for marketers, it's something like if you have nine, 900 tabs open yes. at any one point because you're working on 16 different projects at yes. once, Yes, that kind of content is very self-identifying, is not derogatory, is still funny, yes. and is very self-identifying without feeling like you're crossing some sort of line or you're having to do some silly dance or you're yes. having to make fun of yourself in some way it's a way for you to say, hey, I see you so well, GC, or hey, I see you so well, COO. Like, I understand that this is something that happens in your day-to-day life every single day, and I'm gonna laugh with you about it, and say, let us help you tackle that.
0: Oh, that's Um, really good, because I do feel like, you, I'm sure, have seen a million examples of where it's cringe, and it's like, oh, gosh, you're a lawyer what are you doing yes. And and I can only imagine what those potential clients are looking at and it's like they're instantly thinking oh my gosh I could never hire a lawyer like that and yes. so that's I'm sure what a lot of people listening are thinking too like I am so fearful of going too far and you know and appearing that way where it's like bad <laughs> and embarrassing you know <laughs>
1: I a hundred percent align with that. I think there's a difference between feeling like you're identifying with your audience and shaming them or looking yes. silly. Yes. And so that's actually, those are our parameters. Like we always ask ourselves before we put out a piece of content, is this too silly or yes. is this too shaming? Cause I also feel like sometimes when you are self-identifying with your clients, you might accidentally create a piece of content that's shaming when in fact you want it to be empowering. Yes. To be like, look how awesome you are that you can juggle all these things instead of why are you trying to juggle all this? You should just hire me. Right. Yes. Yes. So it's really important to frame the question and to think a little bit differently about your content as you're creating it on those types of platforms from am I being too shaming, am I being too silly, or am I finding that fine line between humor and empowerment?
0: I think this is like just key content strategy overall because I know that as we are sitting down with firms and setting up their strategy, that core message and positioning is so critical and to make sure that your tone is appropriate for your positioning and who your clients are is everything. And it's really not easy to do. And it's definitely not something that you're gonna find on ChatGPT or these platforms that create the content for you. You have to run it through your own filter that fits into your positioning kind of framework. And this is where I think the platforms, not where I think, I know where the platforms can't do the work. So they can provide you I regularly ask for like 20, 30 examples of ideas for X, Y, Z, but then I have to take those 20 or 30 and say, okay, which fits and which is appropriate and which is going to be awful. Like you're saying shameful or too silly or just basically, you know, here's the box of where our positioning is. Here's who we're trying to talk to. Most of these are not going to fit. And maybe sometimes you have to run, 30 of them a few times, like who cares? It takes 10 seconds, you know, like just keep going and keep going until you get to the place that you need. But this is critical, not just for social media, but for all of it. And I can't tell you the number of websites I've landed on where it is 100%, like pointing a finger, totally shameful, or super boastful and egotistical yes. and like oh. nobody that is so such a huge miss in social media to just be all about the ego of the firm so 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I would
1: like to yeah, just yeah, sorry. agree 100%. <laughs> yeah, with that. I was like up on my sofa there for a minute. <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, I have clients sometimes who come to me who want to produce that types of content and I'm yeah. like, we're not the right agency for you. Yes. That's not the type of content we make. Yeah. We don't, we, especially we know it doesn't work. So if you want to spend thousands of dollars making that type of content, great but I don't wanna waste your money and I'm not gonna do that to you, (laughs) you know? So
0: give me an example of kind of what they're looking for and let's say that they actually listen to you and they're like, okay, I get it. Like that's not quite the right angle. So how do we make it better? So I'm guessing, (laughs) I'm just going to pull this out of the air. I'm guessing it could be something like a personal injury attorney because Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of ego in, especially if they've had some success and they, and they've seen so many other websites and social media accounts that are all about the dollar signs and they just want to do like, we've had these millions of dollars of results. So if you are having that conversation and and it does turn around like for the better how does how would you take that and adjust that kind of message and approach in a way that does work
1: Yeah so the first thing i remind them is there are a lot of personal injury lawyers out there who get great results Yeah that is not a differentiator actually and that's something that really oh I've had oh. lawyers go head to head with me when I'm like, that's not a differentiator. Your 30 yeah. plus years of experience and this is not a differentiator. Your multi-million dollar verdict is not a differentiator. I love the that. The differentiator is you. Yes. You and how you approach your content, how you put your personal brand out there, how you talk to your clients. Yeah. And... There are some lawyers who do a really good job of tough love and a great like in a on the line like able to empathize but still give tough love with those types of clients that need it. Yeah. But not all clients need it and that might not be your target audience and let's be real if you are having to have your entire firm built on tough love clients, that's a lot of time and effort and energy you're putting into managing those client relationships. Yes. If you could have some of those that are just the regular types of folks who will actually follow the directions and do the things that you tell them to do, That kind of book of business is the type that actually really grows and scales firms. And it's a different message. It's not the tough love message always. There needs to be a bit of a mix of content types in there. You can have a few of those tough love stories, but you have to have a mix, I think, of that self-identifying. We understand you, that empathetic. We can identify with you. Yes, We've had, you know, I think too taking those numbers and turning them around to share the story. Yes, with them. I was just
0: going to ask about the storytelling <laughs> of it because I feel like there especially with personal injury, not to be so stuck on that because I mean I know there's a million other practice areas, but I just mm-hmm. feel like there's so many lessons to be learned, but there are so many stories there. Like so many like kind of heart-wrenching stories oh. and if you get them well presented so that you're really communicating like you know, getting to the heart of it, you, you've got kind of a listener forever.
1: Absolutely. And, and the stories are what sell. Yeah. You have to be careful with stories though. <laughs> yeah. some ethical things, like not sure. all stories are the results, right? So from an ethics standpoint, you need to make sure you have your, you know, your caveats in there. You know, this story is, you know, one example of probably many. Yes. But that being said, stories do sell. And when you're able to share them in a compelling way, and you're able to put them on the platforms in a way that, helps others also self-identify like that person is exactly me or I've had a very similar experience and people can align with those clients that you've had. That's what ultimately gets people to hire you over somebody else. And that's the differentiator.
0: Yeah. I really feel like those are, those are the cases where, not the cases, the the kind of clients and the projects where I've seen it absolutely do those kind have those kind of results that everybody's aiming for, where it just like shoots, you know, that hockey stick thing everybody talks about where you're just kind of plodding along and then all of a sudden, boom, you get a big spike. And if you put the time and effort into developing those stories, you don't need... 50 of them you don't need and you don't need 50 every year either sometimes it's a handful of stories that you can continue to reuse and repurpose in different ways and then take slices so i have one firm in particular who put the effort into making some videos and like went out got the clients had the whole like it was a lot of work and i'm not going to pretend it's not because all good marketing really requires some work Uh, same as, you know, being a lawyer you know, if you're going to do the good work, you'll see the, you know, results and all that. But now we've got this chunk of videos and work and all that stuff. And we can continue to reuse those for a couple of years at least. So, you know, just keep in mind like the big kind of story that really supports the the sort of mission and values of your firm. And if you can get a couple of those and then just continue to, you know, have clips and little pieces and a testimonial and then you do some stuff over on social media and, you know, you can use it in a lot of different ways so that you can really maximize, you know the that content and that work that you did. So let's go into, so we talked about metaverse. We talked about LinkedIn. So what about some of these other platforms and like pros and cons? So you said that you use LinkedIn and then the short form videos, which is like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube shorts, but you can take that piece of content, use it on all of them. Are those the main platforms that you use? And then the sub question is, is it different for your clients?
1: Yeah, so we actually are, um, those are the platforms we use, but we use them with a campaign approach. So we have one usually big piece of content we're creating It's usually a YouTube video because that tends to be um, YouTube has such power from an SEO perspective for us and such um, visibility for us. It's somewhere where a lot of people start consuming first our YouTube content and then later come to our website, later start following me on LinkedIn. Um, So YouTube is a huge driving force for us. So we'll we'll make a long form video, break it up into short form videos. We'll then break it up into other pieces of content, carousel posts on LinkedIn. We'll break it up into, we repurpose everything. Yes. And so our real goal is to create like this kind of hallmark piece of content that then gets distributed in a lot of different ways across all the platforms. And then we take that content and we break it up into tweets, into threads. Actually, now we're using way more threads than we are tweets. Oh, I, <laughs> I want to get into that next. OK, so that's genius.
0: And I feel like that is kind of what I was alluding to with those stories too. like mm-hmm. create some really great stuff and then find a way to use it all over the place. Do you typically just try all the platforms? I mean, keeping in mind this idea that we were talking about in the beginning, where, you know, there's going to be some platforms that come in, make a splash, and then disappear. Well, not, I guess we're not going to say that the metaverse has disappeared, but it's sort of like (laughs) behind the curtain. Like, I can't really see it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So for our clients, we tend to stick to the ones where their audience is. That's the number one thing. Sure. Um, as a social media strategist, marketing strategist, I have to be on the new platforms. So I don't yeah. really have a choice to be like, I didn't really look at that or <laughs> care to learn it, right? Like, that's an awkward that's conversation. Way, yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. yeah. That's this way to say bye to my agency. But right. for lawyers, I'm looking at audience size on these different platforms. I'm looking at engagement. I'm looking at what's actually possible, right? So if we were to run ads, if we were to work on building a strategy, a content strategy on these platforms are their audience, is their audience there? Number yeah. one. And two, are they engaging on the platform? Cause there are plenty of people who lurk, but yes. what actually gets your content to like be viewed by others is engagement. So we want a nice kind of mix of both of those. Yes. So if you are, you know, a B2B AmLaw 100 firm, your clients might not be on TikTok. Yeah. Actually I'd say far like, far more likely they aren't on TikTok. Yeah. Right. So does it make sense to post your content there? Probably not. Right. Does and it's it going to look
0: weird. Make- and it's, <laughs> because I mean, honestly, if I go to a the firm like what you're describing and I go to the bottom of their page and look at their social media links and I see TikTok for a firm of that size, I'm going to think that's really strange unless they have a very specific purpose for it so I would say like maybe there's one sub practice area that has a very specific need for that startups maybe yeah or like yeah trademarks maybe yeah, something I don't very know. very unique but typically i'm going to look at that and think what what that's kind of odd so you don't want to have that kind of reaction you want to be where you're expected to be and i think the what i just want to kind of underline that you were saying a minute ago is that you kind of you're choosing your platforms based on numbers and metrics and like for real reasons not just like i don't know what should we do today <laughs> like just
1: kind of the pulling more, it on. Yeah. <laughs> the fastest way to lose money and spend money on marketing that's ineffective is to not look at the data yes so- Oh my
0: gosh, I love that. I just highlighted that one. It's like, we are pulling that quote out for sure. That's a good one. (laughs) I love
1: it. It's just the truth. I see too many people come to me and they're like, help me with my marketing. And I'm like, why are you spending so much time on this platform when your audience isn't here? Why are you doing, this doesn't make sense from the data. Like we can go into analytics, we can go at whatever analytics platform you have and see you're not getting any traffic from that or you're not even getting messages or views. So why are you spending the time there? so
0: i just think there's so much feeling like i should be there like i saw this other guy and it seems like they're getting traffic it seems like like i don't want them to get all my stuff and my people but so i feel like i should be there or you know like all the other guys are there it's the grass is always greener and when people say that i'm like come on what do you say to people who who kind of say well all my competitors are there and you know you just kind of come back to the data
1: i come back to the data but i also say watch out that shiny object syndrome what you have yeah you're you're basically comparing yourself to somebody who you don't even know is getting necessarily that level of traffic or that level of engagement or even leads from all that effort and time but on top of that that's the fastest way to build a losing strategy your strategy should last more than a month, right? Yeah. Your strategy should be something that you can build out for the next three to five years and feel good knowing that it's not something that's only going to live in existence for the next three months, right? That it yes. can only perform for three months. Yes. And in fact, if you're working with a strategist or anyone else who's like, I can guarantee this for the next 90 days, but after that, or I don't know that they would ever even admit that after that they can't, they can't necessarily get it to perform. But I think it's important that your strategy is bigger than just, you know, I'm going to do this because someone else is doing this in my marketplace. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Exactly. Okay, so coming back, you mentioned Threads a minute ago. Mm -hmm. Let's come back to that because I feel like this is going to be... This is the conversation that is similar to the metaverse conversation that we were having a year ago and the whole world was having. And today and where everybody's talking about now is threads, which is supposed to be the Twitter killer, right? Mm-hmm. And so you even mentioned yourself, your firm is now spending way more time on threads than Twitter, right? So talk about that and what you're seeing there and kind of what everybody is talking about and whether it's, whether it's a good idea, you think, in broad generalities for, for most law firms.
1: So let me preface by saying when I say my firm is, I'm actually talking about our individual digital strategist. So threads in and of itself, because it is so new, we have all of our clients have set up their threads accounts there, but we haven't started posting there because there's a lot of limitations. It's not completely a built out system. It's still very much in beta mode. You can't use hashtags, you can't sponsor or, you know, have any kind of ads there so it's much more of a very personalized network at this point it's much more like Facebook was in its infancy when it only allowed college students in right yeah it's people oh just gosh. sharing random thoughts about yeah. that happen in their yeah. lives and stuff so the way I'm using threads and the way I think most lawyers and anyone who wants to even access threads should use it is very much from a personalized place so is this a message I'm trying to amplify in this moment but realize that this has to be a human to human connection thing. This can't be a company to human yet at this point. It just doesn't have the capabilities yet to be able to do that. So for most of my lawyers, I'm actually telling them, wait on Threads. Let's see what happens with Threads. Let's see the whole reason why everyone signed up for Threads and got a Threads account is because it had a built-in audience that came with it. If you had an Instagram following, your audience transferred over to Threads, which is great. That's a great way to grow a platform really quickly the main metric i'm now looking at is do those people stay on threads and continue to come back continue to use threads continue to access it continue to want to be part of that platform yeah that'll be the data that's going to decide whether or not we migrate all of our clients to cross-posting content there
0: that is so interesting because it's been as of this time when we're recording now it's been when did they launch about a month ago yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, and even yeah. now, a month in, and by the time we recorded, or by the time this is published, it'll be about two, two-ish months, it's it's being less and less of the conversation that, that from what I can tell, already, yeah. like, so I feel like, also, it's, it's Facebook, Instagram, you know, like, it is, it, this is not just some random, what was the one that was, like, the audio, thing that came out during the oh my gosh clubhouse Clubhouse like that was just a random platform was that backed by any major company
1: I don't think it was I don't believe I don't remember I honestly don't remember (laughs) I used it for like a month and then I was like okay a lot of work so this is really well clubhouse was really like an answer to the fact that we were all holed up in our house exactly we're not all we're not all locked in all in lockdown right so it's like And they had no sort of friend up. (laughs) And and it was like, right, or
0: let's like, just go meet in real life, like we can do now. And they didn't really have an answer to what comes next. And I that's Mm -hmm. what I'm wondering about threads is what comes next. However, because it is this massive, massive corporation, they probably got teams of people working on that. So I would not anticipate threads going away anytime soon. I you know, like obviously we're recording and this is going to be published and I could very well be wrong and we could <laughs> meet in another you know in the future and have this conversation and laugh about how wrong I was but I feel like it will iterate and it will figure this out and it will find a way for to make money like there's no I'm not worried about that part like they will find ways to make money
1: I think they already have a proven strategy with Instagram and with Facebook and the fact that their meta is the parent company, that they know how to make money. The yeah. issue is, are they going to be able to continue to entice people to show up and spend their time there? And yes. I think given just what's happened with Twitter, if it really does continue on the track it is, which is basically just becoming a new Twitter, yes, there, there likely will be opportunity for their... For it to have longevity in that way because i think a lot of people are really tired of twitter
0: yeah i was just going to say that too that i feel like they've got this moment where people are looking for it and they want it to be reliable there there's been so many of these platforms that have come out and just gone away and we've invested time and, and effort in and then it just goes away and so the fact that it's backed by meta is giving people a lot of reassurance and and so that's that's also bringing people in and and, you know bringing the stability of it so yeah I I I can't wait to see we should come back to this maybe like six months or so from now and like see where it's at because I'm sure there will be moments where it's like oh my gosh what did they do (laughs) what were they thinking or like oh here's this cool this is how it's gonna all come together or you know whatever I'm not trying to you know, get my crystal ball out. But there's something's going to (laughs) happen.
1: Well, I remember when Instagram shifted to video, there was a huge backlash. right, Making that change. You know, this what I thought was really interesting was the messaging around threads is that they messaged it as an Instagram company, not as a meta company and not as a Facebook company. Oh, that's that's interesting. I didn't notice that. I think that's because they're trying to distance themselves from all the privacy issues and all of the Cambr- Cambridge Analytica stuff that oh, happened with Facebook. Oh, their And sh- their strategy has to shift because they don't have the best reputation with people right now, at least Meta and Facebook. I think that's also why they rebranded to Meta. But uh, do you Facebook think
0: that's also happens. trying to separate from Twitter as well? Because Twitter has had similar issues with messaging and you know all of the politics and news and everything with Twitter. And so Threads is clearly trying to be like the anti-Twitter. And so it, it kind of aligns with all of that stuff.
1: Correct, and the, the cool version. I mean, let's be right. real. Like. <laughs> Facebook is kind of now considered Grandpa's. like something our grandparents use. <laughs> yeah, like, right? <laughs> totally, it's yes, not, it's yes. it's where grandpa goes to be like, well, where, I'm going to complain about something yes. like my bread getting squashed at the grocery store, right? Like, <laughs> right. that's what grandpa's gonna put on facebook right right right. and write happy birthday on the wrong cousins (laughs) right like (laughs) yeah or or get or get
0: hacked like you just get get the the hacking messages from all the older people in your life (laughs) like all of a sudden like you get a friend request from somebody you already are friends with it's like oh here we go again like this is what i see on facebook
1: or or share that post that's like, I do not consent to Facebook charging me $8.99 or whatever, like something weird, you know, <laughs> yes. like to use my photos. And you're yes. like, what? This isn't even a, a real thing. But anyways, so that's what Facebook has a reputation for. Instagram definitely has that more youthful, cooler kind of reputation. Yes. And I think that's an important part of Threads being successful is they don't want to be associated with that kind of, that kind of grandpa. Right. <laughs> kind of. uh, Well, to
0: kind of compare, like this is the perfect comparison of some of these platforms. And I I agree that Facebook is the older community. But I will say the one thing that keeps me going back to Facebook is some of these groups that I'm a part of. Uh And I can't find that anywhere else. Right, like that is not on any other, it's really not LinkedIn at all. Like it's not at all, it doesn't function the same way. And so that is, I, for me, what Facebook has and kind of keeps me coming back to. So, and, and I feel like they've got the corner on that. And, and so is there a benefit marketing wise for Facebook in terms of like those groups and the, you know, the way people are using Facebook in that way?
1: 100 percent. So that is the ones like one of the smartest things Facebook ever did was yes. actually allow you to create these private groups, these groups that are not discoverable, these groups that you can build full on audiences around and then market internally within those groups. Yes. And I think that that is one of the things for Facebook. As If you're a lawyer, if you have a very specific demographic you're targeting, that's one of the smartest and fastest ways to have a built-in audience that you can market to, is build a private group around the type of area of law you practice. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's not as, I think, as effective for maybe the B2B, the larger kind of global firms, but yes. for those that are more the B2C, maybe you're a divorce attorney, maybe you're a you know immigration attorney, something like that. If you're building a resource group, a, a group that's really focused on providing resources to your community and your ideal target audience, you will have then a built-in pipeline of leads and potential prospects who you can market to very easily. So I think Facebook was smart in doing that and yeah. that's one of the core advantages and I'm part of plenty of those groups too and it's yeah. also been a great place to even just find, you know, I during the pandemic I was like one of those people that was like where what daycares are taking yes. kids right now right well, like- <laughs> exactly I was just gonna say so like the moms groups
0: I feel like are some mm-hmm. of the, the things that are powering Facebook right now Correct. and so like there's a local moms group and so I'm in an area in Southern California where we had a lot of wildfires and that is we you know we got evacuated the whole deal that's where all the news was happening was mm-hmm. like in those groups in the moment where we all are like going moment by moment if, trying to figure out what's happening all it was on facebook the other example i had is in that same moms group i'm in a like relatively large sized city so it's a huge group of thousands of moms but like when i'm planning a birthday party I want to use a local bakery. I don't want to go to yes. the grocery store. I don't want to, you know, whatever I do. I want to use a nice small business that's local, but I want it to be good too. Like I don't want it to be gross. And so that's where I'm going to go to get my references and resources. And so if you can find something, and I found the greatest little bakery that everyone was recommending. And so that if you can find those kinds of groups, that align with your firm in a similar way, where people are going to give you referrals and resources, and there's a good a good size community there too. Like obviously, mm-hmm. you don't want a group of ten people just kind of in their own little echo chamber, but it that is super. It can be super good for Facebook. But I will say it, that's kind of far and few between for lawyers. Like it's it's that's kind of hard to come by. But when you when you do, one one last example I'll uh, give is a firm that that uh, we're working with that is does a lot of family law. So they're in their local community group. So once again, like, you know, it's moms and stuff and kind of, but also local events, things that are going on. And then they're also active in that community. So they can just kind of provide events or be a sponsor or just be active in that group in some way. And that totally works for them.
1: So 100% I was going to, I was going to actually say, so we have this, this newspaper here. I'm in Texas locally here called community impact. And it's a micro newspaper focused on very small neighborhoods, like neighborhoods and stuff like that in the Austin area. Yeah. And they write these very in-depth articles on these very hyper-local pieces of content. I feel like the thing that's akin to that is Facebook's communities, it's, it's, small little you know neighborhood groups yes. and it's mom's groups and it's you know therapist groups and like you know the groups that that bring people together based on how they self-identify yes taking that information too and and that's that's akin to what it is and that that particular newspaper is doing very very well in yeah. a time when most newspapers are declining Yes, so i think the really the rule of thumb is to think smaller yeah you know, to think more targeted yeah And who you're approaching but then and i think on top of that going into those groups and asking questions yeah. or hearing what questions they have can be great fuel for content yeah great fuel for what you write on linkedin yes what you write share on instagram and how you create let's say a TikTok channel or a youtube video yes just allowing yourself to kind of observe and be a little bit of a lurker in this group. Yes. Book yeah. Can be a and listen. Yes. yes.
0: Yeah. That's such yes. great advice. So, yeah. So if you can find those the kind of correct and appropriate groups that are your target audience and then just go in there and 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 spend some time. Like that's going to be an investment of some time and effort. Okay, so it is time for the book review. <laughs> I know you have a good one that ties into all of these things yes. that we've been talking about. And just to mention that we have this library on the website of all the books that our guests have recommended. So, it's there's so many good ones and they're they're typically related to the topics that we're talking about. So, business, marketing, you know, all these good things. So Jessica, what is the book that you have to add to the library today? Oh my today? gosh, I'm
1: going to get the name wrong. Hold on, <laughs> future okay. lawyers. Uh, Tomorrow's tomorrow. lawyers. Tomorrow's lawyers. <laughs> Tomorrow's lawyers. I was like, I'm missing this. <laughs> all right, by know That's, that's, that's what, what I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, so I love this book. So this is actually the fourth edition of this book, and I've read every edition. Ooh. And the, the reason why I think this book is so important, it, it talks a lot more about kind of what's happening in corporate legal. So what's happening and those who deliver services to kind of corporate entities and why I love this book is it's talking about actually how the law in general is shifting to more of a commoditized kind of service offering yes where we're productizing the services and that they're the the law the legal work that's going to be the stuff that can get that really high billable rates and that really high you know kind of prestige right is becoming less common and that It's really important for lawyers to think about the opportunities in between that really specialized work to that very kind of more systematic kind of work that you can do, especially now using tools like AI to help you leverage that and actually create services that people need and want, but maybe not at that very super high price point, but you can create volume around those. You can create systems around those. You can build a department that doesn't maybe look like the traditional law firm department nice. or law firm entity. You can add tech solutions. You can add this particular author, Richard Susskind, at, talks a lot about technology and legal and how it's so behind and how so behind once it <laughs> catches up. <laughs> That's going to be the future of lawyering. Yes, there is going 90% of it is going to be this type of work that falls within these, He had five buckets in the first books. Now he has four buckets <laughs> in this last version. He eliminated one of the buckets, but that makes sense though. Cause it does feel
0: like that's kind of how things are progressing. They're getting, you know, more, more direct and succinct. And so it sounds to me like the, what you're describing is that a, a core amount, like if you take your pie chart of your business, a huge slice of that pie, and sort of everything that pays the bills is almost automated, systematic, very easily regurgitated type work. So let's just say criminal defense as for an example. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of DUIs, it's a lot of like the same old stuff and that's what you're gonna advertise for too because mm-hmm. this is what is gonna be your flow of the majority of traffic. But you're also going to have a nice chunk of the another slice of the pie, which is your high end, high complexity, high personalization type work that's also your high priced work. And so you have to balance that out. But you have to have that like meat and potatoes work that is the stuff that churns like on a daily basis and pays the bills. Correct. Yeah.
1: And, and he takes it to another level talking about what's happening internally in corporate legal departments where they are becoming much more efficient yeah. at what they do because they're not billing by the hour. Whereas everyone else in law firms in particular in the corporate <laughs> environment are not necessarily doing that fast enough. yeah And so what's going to end up happening is there's going to be a gap, a huge opportunity for those mid sized, smaller sized firms who are willing to innovate, who are willing to come up. With new services that align to the models of what their clients want, which are cheaper services, faster, you know, but still done right. Yes. And there's a huge opportunity there, and that. Oh, um, that sounds. That's basically so what lawyers good. should be looking
0: at. I love that. That sounds amazing. Okay, uh, we will obviously link to that book on the show page <laughs> and the in the library and all of that good stuff. So you can find that on the on the uh, website for the for the podcast. Okay. What is one big takeaway? We have covered a lot. I feel like (laughs) there's been a lot here. What's a big takeaway that you'd like to get? And then also, I feel like this takeaway, we're going to come back to this at some point in the future and be like, okay, remember when we were talking about threads? Yes. (laughs) It was brand new. Uh,
1: I mean... I think the biggest takeaway from today is really knowing who your audience is and using the data to yes. make sure that before you choose a p- platform to invest your time and energy and resources and that your audience is actually there. And then when you start creating content for that audience, make sure it's something they identify with and that they, c- that resonates with them. And don't be afraid to be a little funny sometimes and, yeah. and use your quirky side to market your services. But not too weird. <laughs> not too weird. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Like yeah just I mean keep it within the box of being a lawyer and I, I think your example of kind of like are you the person that has 500 tabs open that's a perfect example because like we're we're still talking professionally we're still like in your computer and not like talk, getting personal don't get shame don't shame be shaming them or be too silly but but you know try to get some humor in there and honestly I feel like that can be complicated so you may need to get some help with that <laughs>
1: Probably. It, take, it's, it takes a bit of art, right? That's something ChatGPT can't do for you, but yes. doing it is what gets it reshared and gets you that engagement and builds your audiences. So.
0: Awesome. Jessica Aries. Find her on LinkedIn. I mean, honestly, like not just to connect, but to just to see the quality of this, all of this content, it's so great. And we will come back to this in however long we decide, (laughs) whatever works for our (laughs) calendars, but we will come back because I do think we need to kind of have this like, review of what happens with threads over the next you know six oh, yeah. six months to a year and and like let's come back and who knows what's coming down coming next like maybe there's a new version of twitter that you know comes out of no, whatever I, i'm not gonna make predictions
1: <laughs> i was gonna say if i if i could give you any advice go claim your handle at least so yeah you have it claimed yes. and then go from there you know you don't have to post But just claim your handle so that no one else claims it for you, and then yeah. The one thing I noticed
0: though is it has to be the same as your Instagram handle. Correct. So long story short, somebody took my name, and so my my handle from like my personal account is like a variation off of my name, and so I couldn't get my actual name on Threads, which stinks. So one lesson in all of the history of social media is make sure you get your name. Like even if you Mm -hmm. have a second one for your you know your business and all of that, get your own name. You don't want else out there posting under your name
1: so true buy your url too for your name yes yeah 100
0: <laughs> awesome okay so many so many little nuggets of value thanks again for being here thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the councilcast podcast be sure to visit our website at council cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback if you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.